Welcome to the Podcast and Chill Show. I'm your host, Duff No Bear. And I'm Vanessa Valley. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and Chill Show. Give us a like on our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Pod and Chill Show. You can stream our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even SoundCloud. Make sure to leave a rate and review. Want to be a part of our Patreon community? Head over to patreon.com forward slash Pod and Chill Show. That's P O D A N D C H I L L. S-H-O-W to become a part of the Pod and Chill Show community where you will receive daily motivational updates, be the first to access all weekly episodes and exclusive content and be one of the first ones to see our very own cartoon Ordinary Antics. Not to mention all Patreons receive a monthly gift a way of saying thank you for being part of our community. Is that everything? Yeah, I think it is. Cool. Starts to drive, step back in the air. Oh, oh he step oh, back and oh just myself. Big time plays, big, wow. big time plays. Wow. wow. Yeah. This is episode what one? Where we don't even at? try. I, I I get it wrong every time. Yeah, I so get it wrong every time. It's just one of the episodes. It's the podcast and chill show. The next episode, the newest episode. Yeah, the latest one. The podcast and chill show. Uh, you know, great podcast. Yeah, two years in, mm-hmm. loving it. Two years in this job. Two years, two years in. in. Two years in. Now, I promise that is a new voice you're hearing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, Mister New Voice. Would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the pod, man? man? Two years, and this is my first time on here, man. Oh Dang. man, it won't be the last though. That's for sure. Uh, my name's Joard Don, uh, young community activist here in Delaware County and Philadelphia counties. Um, and I'm definitely glad to finally be on the podcast. You hear me? Yeah, you're good. You're good. Go Mike, check. Y'all can hear me? Yeah, we're good. Got yeah, we're it, good, got bro. It, got it. All right. But yeah, man, young community activist here. Um, and I'm just glad to, you know, uh, be in good company today, you know, with some young brothers that are doing their thing. So, but yo, um, it was so cold today, bro. You ain't gonna believe it. <laughs> it was raining it was outside. So cold. I stepped outside, man. I actually saw some politicians with their hands in their own pocket. That's how cold it was. That's scary. <laughs> That's scary. That's really scary. Oh man, man. You know it's, whew. But yeah, man. So tell us what you do. What's going on? Why are you here today? Man, I'm just here so for one, finally get on the podcast. But you know, for two, there's a lot going on in the city, uh, in the state, in the country. Uh, and you know, definitely want to have my input on it. I, I know you guys are, are very concerned of some of these things that are going on. Right. Uh, some very opinionated young men. So, you know, I just want to make sure you know I can um, I can listen to y'all first and foremost, uh, and potentially you know take it to the right ears that, that need to hear them as well. But also you know share my experiences um, and you know uh, the work that I've done in the community or that I'm doing you know as a, as a young man because we all about the same age. You know. Uh, I'm in a I'm in a field that you don't really see young people in uh, that much. So yeah, it's usually you see you know 50 plus year old majority skin colored men. You know, right. so it's like so. The, obviously, this uh this podcast isn't you know uh, interview based. We usually like benefit off topic of conversation. But there's one question I did want to ask you. So obviously, me and you are in the same lane. Right. Obviously, you know you are in I would say a more What's the word I'm looking for here? A more concentrated sort of area in terms of, you know, uh, borough and more so 
concentrated to the point where you know already where you're going and what you're doing and things like that. With myself, I'm more so on the philosophical end, understanding policy and this is that. So, so tell me where, when did it click for you that, because we're the same age, we're right. 24, I'm 24. When did it click for you that I want to work in government? Um, man, that's that's a really good question. And every time I think about that, like I can't really pinpoint like an exact moment that said, "All right, this this was it. This this was like what made me say I want to do it." Okay. Um, for one, I come from a very politically engaged family. Uh, my my grandfather was a public official. You know, he he did his thing. He was one of the best that, ever, in my opinion, that you know ever walked this earth. We you can know, name drop on his podcast. Who is he? It was um. Uh, Jimmy Don is my uh, my grandfather, uh, the Honorable Jimmy Don from uh, Nimba County. In, in, in he was Nigeria. a judge. I'm sorry. He was a judge. No, he was a Paramount Chief. Uh, okay. That was back back home in Africa. I'm an immigrant too, by the way. Okay. Uh, you know, immigrated here some 15 years ago, and um, I guess I honestly can't pinpoint an exact moment. But oh, wait, so bro, you lived like you lived in another and, country? Oh yeah, yeah, bro. I lived in a whole different continent and everything. You know, so. Like English wasn't my first language the whole nine, man. Oh, how so, many languages do you speak? Uh speak English very fluently now. Still speak my native tongues. Um French just a little bit, but I speak my native dialect very, very well. So That's good, man. You know. That's good. That's good. And obviously we're here with the one, the only the great Duff No Beer. Yeah, we're here. There's no need for inter- uh introduction. <laughs> but now I didn't know that you uh came here only fifteen years ago. So now I have a question for you. Is how was the change? How was the like? How drastic was the change for you coming to America? Man, it was very drastic, man. First, let me say, um, coming from from Africa, like pe- we look at America as like literally, like we literally people call it the land of milk and honey, man. That's true. I can't even make this up. Like this, like the dreamland. Yeah. Then I came here and I'm like, damn, the dreamland needs some fixing. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. I ain't know people was here getting shot like we <laughs> see every day in our communities. And stuff like that, but but the transition has been quite amazing, man. Mm. Um, you know, coming like obviously, you know, I came, I was really young. Kids are mean. Kids are going to be kids, especially when you got a heavy accent and you can't even speak English and stuff like that. But you know, I was able to, you know, over the years transition. A lot of the same people that was mean as heck, you know, as a, as a young boy in elementary school. These are some of my best friends now. Yeah, you feel me? And these are some of the people that you know have helped me to get where I am. So you know, the transition from. For my for my experience, man, has been you know really life changing, and it's been like a, a full circle three sixty. Mm. You feel me? All right, so it's and that, and that's crazy because you know a lot of people. For example, when I went to Jamaica, I went to Jamaica in May, and they obviously you know my my father my father's Caribbean, my father's from Trinidad. You know, it it, it was weird for me as an American who you know a lot of people. Obviously, me myself, I understand empathy, right? right? And there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. For those who don't know, that's listening. Sympathy is when you feel sorry for someone. Empathy is when you're stepping in somebody else's shoes and you understand what they're going through and what their trials are. Yeah. Just, just to clarify that. So, seeing people that say, "Oh man, I wish I could." Fifty years old, forty years old, thirty years old. I want to do everything to get to America. I want to do everything to get to America. I need to get to America. America is where I'll start my life and this, this, that. And then we as Americans, we take things for granted. You know, we hurt each other. 
we kill each other we live in an oppressive and i don't like to use that word a lot but we live in an oppressive system now you can obviously there's people that beat the system and there are people that fall victim to the system and there are also people that are dependent on the system but it's always wonders when when you look at something from one view and then you see people that look at your perspective through another world view now you actually are the person that i could sit here and say that saw our country from a different point of view absolutely right you saw it from a different point of view so you can obviously attest to the people that are not from here that did whatever they can to, to beat get the here absolutely you know and that's and that's a, and that's a big point here because a lot of americans you know They'll sit there and say, oh, people, these immigrants, they're taking our jobs. They're doing this, doing that. Half the time, these people are doing whatever they can, they can. to Absolutely. migrate. Absolutely. I, I, and I can attest to that because um, I was a, uh, before coming to America, I was a refugee um, mm. in Ghana for five years. Um, so I left Liberia. I was originally from Liberia. The reason we left Liberia was because there was a quick, quick uh, history lesson on Liberia, first and foremost. I don't know if... Um, a lot of our listeners here, if, if they know this, but Liberia has a very intricate relationship with the United States, uh, especially black America. Uh, and that's something that, you know, I really wish more of our, our, our counterparts uh, knew. You know, Liberia was uh, founded by uh, black Americans, free slaves. Really? Yeah, brother. I'm thinking like if you see the Liberian flag right there, you see mm-hmm. the similarity, why it's very similar to, to, Ameri- to the American yeah, flag, look except with the one star signifies a lot of you know the 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 um the 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 the, the history uh that's so like the capital city of liberia is called monrovia named after president james monroe mm. uh, the second biggest city is called a uh, buchanan named james after buchanan. james buchanan yeah right, right so like when when america got rid of the slaves or when they quote unquote fred the slave when they freed the slaves um, they wanted to, you know, send them back home, but they ain't know where to take them individually, cause you know they ain't keeping records of where they took who from where and, and stuff like that. So they just decided, American uh, colonization society decided they'll just drop them all in Liberia, you know. And so they just b- dropped a bunch of uh, free slaves in one land, Liberia, and um, that's how they decided to, to to actually form the country. So the first f- the first few presidents of Liberia were actually Americans, American citizens. Uh, black Americans, uh, you know, so there's a whole lot of black American history in that country. And, that, you know, it's just sometimes that's one of my life goals, like to make sure, you know, our, 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 our counterparts here, you know, know that they have history down there, you mm. know. So I uh, just wanted to share that quick story. Uh, but going back to your point, as far as, you know, the, 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 the things immigrants go through to get here, um, as I left that, as I left Liberia because of the civil war that that started, um, I went to Ghana for seeking refuge for for uh, for refuge to be a refugee in the Budaburam refugee camp over there. Um, and my family, literally, when we got there, we were trying our very best to get as in America and find you know find safe haven in America. Correct. Every single year we would try, deny, deny, deny. Just doesn't work. And everybody was trying, like literally. So when people say just come in the legal way, oh trust me, everybody try. Yeah, it's just the process for one is expensive as heck. A lot of immigrants are not going to be able to afford that, but you know those that still can't afford it is not easy process. Like it took my mother five years of trying, 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 trying before we was able to finally come here. But understand how ignorant that is, right? Understand how ignorant it is for someone that has privilege to tell you to come in somewhere the legal way, right? 
So and, and and I know that may sound like again, some of these things are just words, but we really have to play paint a picture here that when you have everything and you're telling someone that's trying to reach what you have, you can't come here because what you may be doing may not be legal or blah blah blah. That doesn't promote what the American dream itself is. The American dream is obviously what give us your poor, give us your sick, give us your hungry. Absolutely. But you're telling them to come in the legal way. When the legal way is flooded through paperwork and prices. So the American dream now is just give us your best. <laughs> we don't want all of them, just the best of the give best. Give us your best and give us your rich. <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Essentially, that's why most people, they come here, what do they do? They come here, they become doctors. Absolutely. They become lawyers. And they become scientists. The immigrants. Yeah, for the sure. The immigrants, right? The ones that the people that say, oh, you can't come over here and the way, whatever way you came but yet you're going to them for your daily checkup absolutely you're listening to them for your covid protocols you're listening to them for them to reach out to you to save your son or your daughter from the legal system right. but they couldn't come over here the right way because you think that's wrong put that into perspective while you know we go into this uh conversation here now i'm here with my man you know mr don here so tell me what you did obviously you're in government right tell me a little bit you know about the journey you went on obviously you ran for mayor right right you know can you talk about that at all or? absolutely all right absolutely, yeah so, so just go ahead and talk to me a little bit just about your process as mayor go ahead absolutely so so um you actually can I, let me back up to the question you asked prior to and then um we, i could transition right into this uh go this ahead. mayor experience go um ahead. How I got here, first and foremost, how I got in position to potentially, you know, uh, be able to run for public office. Um, as I said, I can't pinpoint an exact moment that said, yo, I should do this. That You know, that was like a light off to me. Uh, but I've always been involved in the community. I've always did the work in the community. You know, like just today, you know, prior to you joining me here for this, uh, this episode, I was, you know, uh, hosting a, a back to school event for the kids. Um, my... I believe my involvement in politics or, you know, what really opened the door for me was my student involvement. Like, I was really involved as a student since elementary school, you know. Uh, I was a student student council president in my elementary school, high school, and uh, in college. Uh, I was still involved in student government and the whole nine. Um, and I was also student government president at my uh, alma mater, Bloomsburg University. Um, and then after doing that, I was able to serve as the chairperson of the whole state system student union. So like all 14 universities and inst institutions, uh, institutions of higher learnings in the Commonwealth that's owned by the Commonwealth. Um, I was the chair of uh, all 14 of them. So that's over 100,000 students uh, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, so I served in that capacity. And um, for some reason, you know, I, apparently I did well in that post uh, and it caught the, the, the ears of our governor. And Governor Wolf was able to reach out to me and ask me if I would be interested in serving on uh, the Board of Governors, which is the governing body for the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education. Um, and so I did that. Um, that experience was, you know, one of the best experience of my life. You know, I think that opened right. so many doors, uh, being one of the youngest statewide public official. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I used that opportunity to serve our student body uh, on 100,000 students very well. And um, after graduating with a bachelor's in political science, I came home, got very involved in the community again, volunteered for our local parties and different campaigns. Um, and I even ended up managing a candidate for a state house in the 160th district. Um, and just I was just volunteering a lot, you know, for the, for different candidates in the parties. Um, 
And so, you know, eventually uh, members of our community asked me to consider a run for office because our incumbent mayor uh, was not seeking re-election. Um, and so I said, OK, um, I'll, I'll give that a shot. Um, frankly speaking, I had no interest in local politics, especially running for mayor in a small town like this, um, only because I'm a workaholic from my, you know, from what I've always done in the past. Like, I like to work. You know, I like to implement stuff. Um, and a lot of the issues that I really cared about, too, obviously being an immigrant, I care about immigration concerns. Um, but being a young black man in America, I really care about gun violence uh, and, and things of that nature. So those are all issues that not handled locally. You know, a lot of those issues is handled at the state level, at the federal level. So I always used to think, you know, if I ever I like I never had a dream of saying I'm going to run for office eventually. Like if you check on my high school, my elementary school yearbook. Uh, and they asked what I wanted to be in the future. They always said I was going to be a professional athlete. Okay. I, yeah, so I never really had any interest in running for office. But because of all these things that's going on in our community and the members of our community, you know, uh, asking me to be a champion for them, I decided to give that a, a, a run. And um, I think personally it was one of the greatest experiences um, I, ever, I ever experienced in my life. Uh, as a, I was 23 years old, I uh, decided to do that, being the youngest um youngest uh, mayor probably in the commonwealth i know in delaware county for sure but mm -hmm. probably in the commonwealth and then maybe potentially in the country as well um man it was an experience that i think we need more young people to invest in uh because it's literally uh it's our future you know I, I personally think you know um we we need more young people at the table because these are policies and things that that we're going to implement or put together that's going to affect the future yeah. and if you I'm sure we all can agree the future is us, young yeah, people. Yeah. yeah. So we, we definitely need a few of us at the table. And so So basically everyone in this room right now is of the same age, right? Now obviously we we some of us walk similar walks of life, some of us don't. You know, but my thing is here what we don't understand a lot of people out there is that it's always about trees. Now people may look like, Well, what the fuck is does a tree have to do with any of this? Well, I'll explain it to you. So Trees, I started off with a seed, obviously. It takes a tree 15 years to become at least a tree with four branches. Right. It takes a tree 15 years. Now, if you, if you relate that to politics, people are in politics for, as we see with our president, for 40 years. Yeah. And as me and Duff have definitely talked about in the past, <laughs> the our you know our forty our forty fifth president has been in <laughs> literally in in Congress for forty five plus years and hasn't done much of nothing, you know to be to be fair for our community, not necessarily the Philadelphia county, but more so the African American, the fourteen percent that grosses forty four plus billion dollars a year in revenue. To the consumer market, which we obviously benefit from in terms of the financial aspect. So when we think about it, the people our age, they're so inept and they're so caught up with what does not matter. And it's really trying to, you know, there's a book talking about barking up the wrong tree, trying to figure out how we can relate something that people don't care about, which makes the most sense. You know, that's a lot of things that we talk about. I know me and Duff No Beers talk about that on the last episode, you know, Duff. So it. I just don't understand, man. I don't understand why don't more people, you know, look in to reformation. Sometimes I uh I feel like it's due to ignorance. 
and the art of not caring. A lot of people don't care about their uh, surroundings until it affects them. That's what I genuinely feel like what it's about. Uh, that's, 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 that's pretty much what it is. It really is. You, you really have to be the change that you want to see. That's how I feel. Just I like, like, like him. He's the change that he wanted to see. He felt like it was violence surrounding the city. He wanted to be the change. So that's why he ran for office instead of doing uh, sports and athletics because he wanted to be the change that he wanted to see. And it does smart start at a small scale. Even though if you want to take over the world, you got to start off in your community. Right now, it's more so like an onion, right? So so going going forward, now granted, this podcast is definitely heard in a lot of different places, not just Philadelphia. So I'm going to explain something that, uh, you know, just to give a little context. So there's a place in Philadelphia that at one point in time, I don't know if it's still the same way, but at one point in time housed the most heroin transport in the entire world. And that's the northern section of Philadelphia, which is called Kensington. Now, in that area, in Kensington, for those who know and for those who don't, all right, there are a large amount of homeless individuals that are unfortunately afflicted with the heroin addiction and others, you know, that live there outside on the streets. You walk through it. People love being for. I never knew that Philadelphia was a tourist attraction. Yeah, because we live here. Right. But when you go there, you see. They never show Kensington. They show you the Liberty Bell. They show you Independence Hall. Art they Museum. show you Art Museum. Yeah. They show you the Schuylkill River Trail. They show you everything that's not the biggest issue in our city. 3% of the Philadelphia population is homeless. Yeah. The undocumented vote is homeless. Right? Now, when you look into it, you guys can Google it when you hear this. The Kensington section, there are needles written on the ground. There are people that overdose on the ground daily. People are dead. People walk over others. They use drugs and they do these things. And our city government, they call themselves, quote unquote, cleaning up the neighborhood. And you hear people in the comments, thank God they cleaned up the neighborhood. Thank God they did this. All they did was push it out. They tried. Now, my question here is to whoever wants to answer it, you know, does that benefit good for our city? Now, granted, there's 1.3 million people that live in the Philadelphia city, not counting the outskirts or anything like that. Does that bode well for our city moving things away? So I, I, I so I'm not 100% sure, you know, what the city did as far as, you know, uh, what what they did with the people. I know they, I read the story. I, I, you know, I know that they, they removed them from um, the camp. That mm-hmm. they were in, um, and I know they they've been doing that over the past few years as well. Um, I would hope that you know, moving them until you know some kind of rehabilitation efforts or yeah. something. You know, I would hope it is not. Let's just move them from here and move them to another section. You know, because I'm sure we can all agree that doesn't solve the problem. Doesn't you know? So I'm I I definitely want to. I'm interested in you know knowing what the city is uh, did with them, um, but. I don't think anybody want homeless people in their communities, you know, just roam in the street. But I also don't think, you know, for a nation that uh, that 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 prides itself on Christian values. I don't think we just want to take them and, you know, arrest some of them like I've heard have been happening uh, and just keep them in jail or, you know, um, potentially just put them in another place without actually trying to, uh, 
you know, uh, fix whatever issue they may have. Because a lot of the issues is mental problems. You yeah. know, uh, you know, we definitely need to put some resources into getting these people uh, valuable to into getting them basically rehab so they can be valuable members to our communities. You know, so I, I'm interested in, in seeing what happens next. Now, I'm pretty sure everyone on this podcast can agree with me here is when I say that there's an there's a easy way to do things in politics and there's a hard way to govern. What does that mean? Okay. The easy way to fix politics is to put a band-aid on a problem. Absolutely. The hard way to govern is fix and find the solution. Do you feel like that it was a band-aid? Oh, 100%. Like think about it. Look at look at everything we do. In politics, a lot of individuals they just dance around the issue. Yeah. Oh, there's there's homelessness, there's there's yeah. drug addiction. Let's just move just it full away. Just filling potholes, yeah. Exactly. When you reconstructing see, the street. When you see a pothole, right? Yeah. You see people. They'll sit there and they'll fill it. O- they'll mm-hmm. fill it with over. With tar. Yeah. With, and tar. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happens? You drive over. It snows. There's a hole again. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And did that fix the problem? It was a temporary problem to an ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. Temporary solution to an ongoing issue. Right. So when we think about it, that is the unfortunately the running sad joke of our government's politics it's like oh we'll do that that'll work for a little while and then it's just like with covid right we thought we fixed an issue and the virus itself recreated and now there's a delta variant that is getting people sick what we have to understand and this is a lot of part that people my age don't want to do because it's hard Right, a lot of people don't want to do things that are hard. I sometimes don't. I know it's hard. It's hard. Change is scary. Change is hard. But when change is made successful, the fruits of the benefit are ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I will say that I feel like that was the wrong move. From from what I've seen, I feel like that that's the wrong move. I feel like, you know. We do have a budget. Obviously, we do have to fill and fit in those budgets, but we also have to figure out those problems. And people may listening outside may say, "Hey, this may be a, a Philadelphia only issue." No, because I go to D.C. and as soon as I get off the, the ramp to D.C., all I see is homelessness. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, take California. California has the largest homeless population in our country. Look into it. Right, so you see these things, and you see the cost of living has not gone down. No, <laughs> gas is three seventy five in our state. Right, so what we see here is an influx of financial hardship, but no restoration, no nothing. So, you know, it's just something to think about here, man. Especially as you see people dying to get over here. We saw what's going on in Afghanistan. We see what's going on with the Taliban. We see people dying to get over here. But when you get over here, and I will may, I will say this, I will stand on this. When you get over here, there is a concept that they do not tell you. Getting over here is one step. Understanding how our country is run is a whole different playing field. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a whole different playing field. Well, some people would rather stay blind. What do you mean? I mean, you come over here, right? Uh, immigrants. I, I know a few friends that migrated over here, and they made 
a pretty good living for themselves. But, you know, they don't want to, they don't really need to worry about that, you know, because their goal is to create generational wealth for their family. So they're not really worried about U.S. politics as a whole. They're worried about, hey, how I'm going to feed for generations to come, how I'm going to bring my family over here. They don't really want to get into anything else, you know what I mean? Because they all have one common goal. That's to get over here and make a living for themselves. Absolutely. And I can Literally. definitely I can yeah. agree. I can agree with that. And that, that was one of the reasons that I ran, actually. Mm. Um, because a lot of the people that... Um, that so Darby Borrowers, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it, but um, we there is a surplus of Western African immigrants, especially in Darby and Southwest Philadelphia as well. Uh, if you guys ever been to Woodland Avenue, you know, yeah. Elmwood, all of those areas... You know, you know. Actually, there's actually uh, talks in um, in the city council of uh, renaming that area, that section of um, of uh, Philadelphia, really? Little Africa, uh, kind of like you know we have Chinatown and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that's that section of Philadelphia, you know, it being majority immigrants in that area is uh, there. There's discussions about potentially historically renaming that area, um, hmm. but you know, in Darby, you know, when I like. When I ran for office, I was the first immigrant to, to, to make that move in, in that area, you know. Um, and I just never understood how, you know, the community has been, you know, ha- has had this for the past 20, 30 plus years. Like, it's, it's been immigrants in Derby for the last 50 plus years. Yeah. You know, and not once any of them thought, yo, let me get involved in the local politics or nothing like that. So those was one of the things that I was actually preaching, like, mm-hmm. you know. But they usually stay in in, in, in in tone with what's going on back home. They want to know what's going on in their country, yeah. and they're very involved there. And that was a narrative that I really try to switch because while, you know, you are from where you're from, you're American now. Yeah. You, know, you, you are here. You're in America. You're American. So you need to pay attention to what's going, going on in your local you, community yeah. and get more involved. And that was one of the, my biggest message, my biggest platform that I preached because... You know, if you're in the community, you want to be re- represented. You want to have a voice as well. But a lot of immigrants were just, you know, I don't, some of them too were scared to get yeah. involved. You know, like a lot of immigrants, when, when, when they have any kind of altercations with like police and stuff, like even those that have their paperwork that mm-hmm. are here illegally, they'd be so terrified of interacting with police, any kind of government official and things of that nature. So yet alone getting involved in the politics or even contemplating running for office. That's a great point. You feel me? So I think that's 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 a narrative that, you know, we definitely got to address first. Yeah. Them feeling like they're actually a part of the community, mm-hmm. you know, because you feel like you're welcome. You feel like, like I came here young, so I felt like, you know, I was a part of the community. Yeah. Like I grew up in the system and the whole nine, so I was good enough to say, you know, this is my home. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get as involved as I can here, you know, although... Being an immigrant, I'm still invested in in, in, in the immigrant experience and making sure you know um, they're good as well. But I'm also an American. You feel me? So I think I think that 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 uh, go right with your point that you was yeah. making. So is it fear? Is uh, my question. I don't I don't believe it's I'll, mainly fear. Yeah, you, I wouldn't you, say it's all was, fear. We're all tribal people, yeah. okay? Because it wouldn't just be immigrants that do it. Like a lot of us American citizens don't want to step outside of our comfort zone because it's like. Bro, people generally feel like they can't change a thing. And plus, like I said, humans, we are all tribal. That's true. I went to uh, get my tax for my vehicle, and they were ran by, uh, I would say, uh, Africans. Okay. And they were watching news, the news of 
what's like, happening I'm back average. at home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, that's cool and all, but you can be the change that you want to see. You can change, you can send like care packages and donations back home mm-hmm. to make sure your people is okay. But from here, you really can't, it's nothing much you can do. You know, besides sending finances, sending finances or goods, that's the best thing you could do. Right. And, you know, so, that that happens a lot of the time. Right. So, for example, I know one of my friends, uh, he's from the Dominican Republic. And uh, what he does, in fact, is yeah. what they do is more so like a reload effect. Now, right. what does that mean? So they come here where they come here legally, illegally. That's not my concern. That's not the point of this conversation. But what they do is they start an establishment, grow the finances, Bring peop- more people in. Send yeah. the people that made the money back. Bring the right people that need more money. Bring them in. Get two. Get another establishment. So now you have multiple establishments and you're sending people back and forth, back, back and, and forth, forth yep, yep. to grow here and, and to grow there. back home. But my thing is, because a lot of people, and I don't like to play this card a lot, but because we don't know where we come from, where are we sending this money to? Right. Where are we getting the resources from? Right, and I, we've talked about it a lot. There is no representation. Now that doesn't. That also leads to the word. I hate using the word oppressed. I hate using the word oppressed because it's so hard to be oppressed when the education is essentially free in this generation. Other generations, I I understand, but for here, education is the key, and that's what we fought for. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to sit here and say the knowledge is not out there. Yeah. Whether right you choose your not to it's see to it, yeah. it's up to you to see whether or not you want it. Absolutely. So that's how when people say, oh, we live in an oppressive system. The key to getting out of the oppressive system is education. And you have a phone. Google. During the pandemic, was not Harvard giving out free classes? Yeah, I was in one of them. I was. I registered. For yeah, <laughs> I was in one about. Um, you got the little certificate. Yeah, if you exactly. If you pass it, yeah. yeah, you get to pay. You got to pay sure money, did. and it ships to your house. Yeah, there yeah. was even some that was for free. Yeah, they, I was in the free one. Free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was about yeah. pandemic awareness. Actually, so that's, that's the one I was that's in. That's one of the things that I really uh, I, for this I, I admire that about the immigrant community. When they come here, they take the education very seriously. Yes, they take advantage of every single opportunity that's 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 that's, that's given. You know, that's offered. Um, Usually, like a lot of them, like a lot of the elected officials back in Liberia, believe it or not, some of them came from here. Like some mm. of them will come here, get their formal education, you know, get some finances, and go back home and and, and run for office. But what I be trying to tell these people is, not everybody can run for office out there. Yeah, you know? and not everybody can get involved in their politics over there. You know, I want some of them to contemplate getting involved here locally as well. Like, host some book bag drives here, you know. Yeah. You don't got to do it just in Africa, you know. Obviously, do it there, you know, because they more probably more than likely need it more than we do and right. things like that. But right. at the same time, you can't forget that you are here. You are in this system now. So, you... you they said, "What's the what's the saying? When you're in Rome, you live like the Romans. Come on, you're in America, you know you. Yeah, so I, I definitely, but I'll definitely give give the immigrant community that credit that you know they come here, yes. they seize every opportunity that come. Um, but on, just just with your point, you know, I definitely think you know we need to there need to be some some way that we bridge that gap. Yeah. That, you know, they get as involved as we as you would uh, as you were just saying. Mm-hmm. But I also definitely would love to see." The black American community, you know, get more involved back there as well, and that's one of the things that's I've been a hard, preaching that's a forever. very hard. That would be a that's very a hard um, thing. What's it called? The, the boy that run no gun zone. This conversation I yeah. had with him, you know, mm-hmm. because there's a big disconnect between the immigrant community 
um, especially the African immigrant community yeah. and the black American community. You know, and I'm somebody that played both sides. Like I live both experiences. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Growing up in Philly, obviously, gotta I'm, I had to get involved in in in, in, the, in the culture. Yeah. And you know, obviously, being an immigrant as well, I was already accustomed to that culture. So the crazy thing is, the culture is very much alike. Mm-hmm. You know, but we just don't sit together and and, and 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 try to brainstorm and see how much more alike we are than how much more different we are. And that's the key here. And and my thing is, with a lot of people, because it, it's, it's so crazy, because I feel like you guys are saying the similar premises, right. but the only disconnect is what Duff says is that the fact that we're so tribal, and the fact that a lot of our people here do speak English, right? yeah. it's communicable. So it's there's no there's there's a language barrier in some areas. I'm not going to be ignorant to that. But there are times when people don't want to do it because it's foreign. Right. Not because you don't speak the language, because no one else has done it. Now, what does that mean? Like, like I always say, it take Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt, right? Trained ten plus years to run for eight seconds. Eight seconds, yes, sir to run for eight seconds he trained his whole life to run for eight seconds now if you translate that to community involvement if you've never seen it done before a lot of people think it can't be done (laughs) my race (laughs) a lot of people think it can't be done the greatest thing i've ever read and i will say this until they put me in the ground the greatest thing I ever read is Plato's Allegory of the Cave. If you have never stepped outside that cave, you think it's impossible. Absolutely. You think it's impossible. But I am telling you from experience, and I am only 24 years old. Everybody in this room is basically 24 years old. I am telling you there's always a first to do something. Every day there's a first to do something. So you mean to tell me because you've never seen it done, you think you can't do it? can't do it. You think you can't do it? Yeah, that's basically what you're telling me. You're telling me that oh, there's violence in America. People are gonna die every day. So what is my point of sticking my neck out in hell? People are gonna die. People are gonna get shot. People are gonna get robbed. So why do I do it? That's the problem. The problem is in our generation, just an un, so much an enamored amount of complacency. Because you see it happening, you think that that's how it's supposed that's to happen. Supposed to be, right. That's how it's supposed to happen. Right? We see people on TV, you know, fake this, fake that. The next generation will think that's how life is supposed to go. You know, we see violence. You grew up in violence. We all grown up. I don't know. I don't know where you grown up. I grew up in the war zone, man. That's why I'm here. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so I grew up a, in a refugee. Yeah. Probably worse than what we've seen. Yeah. Probably worse than Probably. what we've seen. So take that into consideration for all those who's listening, right? Everyone in this room has seen some sort of mortal violence, but yet none of us has followed suit. Absolutely. I can sit here and say I've never killed anyone. Absolutely. I've never robbed anyone, and I've never shot anyone. But I live in an area where they shoot at least two times a week. Yeah. But why? Why? It's not because, you know, I want change. That's not, I'm not going to get on my high horse and say I want change. It's common sense. Yeah. If I see you and I kill you, right? And then that means somebody's going to kill me. Right. Eventually. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not next week. Somebody's going to kill me. Yeah. Or karma's going to come back and something's going to happen to you. 
But my thing is, why is that so important to our generation? Why is being a quote unquote, you know, why why does everyone want to be a martyr for a block that they don't own? Why is it? Man, I need an answer to that right now. Man, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'd be in the White House. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be it's in the, the White House. We 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 grow up. Our our mothers, if most of us, are grew up in a single parent household. That's just what statistics show. Statistics show that individuals that are African American from eighteen to twenty two grow up in a single parent household of a female that makes sub thirty thousand dollars. That's what that's what the numbers say, right? So when you look into that. Why do you think that that woman struggled to make only $30,000, which is almost $15,000 below the poverty line, for you just to die before the age of 21? Why? What goes on in your head to make that seem like that? Who are you protecting? Because you're not protecting yourself because you're dead. Essentially. I lost five friends in the summer. Just the summer that passed. I lost five friends in the summer. Wow. I lost five friends, whether it was to the jail system or whether it was to gun violence. Okay. Some of them were not involved in anything. Not involved in anything. But it's for the people that took their lives, whether it be the system or whether it be the violence itself, they were all unnecessary. A lot of people have to understand that when you live outside of Philadelphia, because I lived in West Virginia, 87% of West Virginians have an open carry license. So that means eight and a half of every 10 person you see has a firearm. Has a gun. Has a gun. But how many of them people, how many of them use it to kill people? Not that many. Not that many. Not that many. Because... What we see as firearms over there is a form of protection. What we see as firearms here is a form of respect. Right. Your manhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> protection versus respect. Yeah. The key question is why. Oh, why? I mean. The key question is why. That's a good question, but I believe, you know, look at the territories that we're in. We're in an urban environment. Things like that, like the street life is ingrained in a lot of people in the urban city because this is things that's been passed down generations. Like I'm inheriting your beef because we're from this specific block. Exactly. So now I gotta carry on what you've been doing when you pass away and now I gotta retaliate on who, who killed who my man. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why I feel like but to get back to what you're saying on why, because just like you said, the education system, I mean I don't know how well the education system is in, you know, down south or wherever it's open carry fires. But if you think about it, we don't really got like gun safety classes going to school. Oh, no, absolutely and, not. and you forget, and you forget like there is passed down. Like yo, I have a gun, but this is this is meant for protection. We're taught that guns are meant to retaliate. That's how I feel. And look, and look at the. Um, areas they don't really have to go through like robberies no they don't really have to go through like murders because everyone has a gun. everybody has a so gun. if you're robbing me you know you that know. i'm gonna have a gun exactly but here's like we're in pennsylvania 
Literally. Not because Philadelphia is a city, but Pennsylvania. Our gun laws are not like, what do you need a gun for? Not here, but like in the entire state of Pennsylvania. It's nothing but trees. Essential. <laughs> trees and cows. That's that's all. Trees and cows. So that's why I feel like there's a disconnect. Because they're raised to learn how to shoot and be accurate, have aim. But they learn it for different reasons. For reasons we yeah. learn it to attack each other. So that's the disconnect to me. And plus we're in the city. That's uh, open space. I think I think poverty do play a part oh, in yeah. that too, though. You mm-hmm. know? And I, I, I think... Um, like you, uh, you like you talked Sean earlier. You know, the education, lack of education, um, yes. all, all of that plays a yes. part. Uh, I'll be honest, man. If you, if like I growing up, I grew up in a in a, in a city. Obviously, I grew up in a very urban environment as well. Um, I haven't shot at anybody, like you said. Yeah. You know, I haven't attempted to kill anybody. I've never felt the need never to even want to. to. You know, but that's because I always had something to do. I was always busy. That's a lot right. of these young cats these days, man, they just bored. The honest truth. Yeah. They hustlers. They want some money. They want they want something to provide for their family. A lot of them, the only way they're going to get it is through the streets, unfortunately. So I think, you know, that's a poverty mindset mm-hmm. that um, people people like to say sometimes, like, oh, it's not much our, commu- uh, our politicians can do about this block. Because I'm in politics, so I hear that a lot, you know, but... Our politicians obviously, I mean, actually can do something about that, mm-hmm. you know. If we had some, some like here in Delaware County, the violent issue is not as much as it is in, 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 um, in Philadelphia. No. In my local elementary school, uh, my local public school here in, uh, in Darby Borough is Penwood Middle School. Penwood mm-hmm. Middle and High and, 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 you know, William Penn School District. Yep, Penwood. At Penwood, they have a program where after you are done classes... You can go and learn a trade. Like I had some of my cousins, yeah. my friends. They all literally, as soon as they done class, they go straight to the trade program, learn something, you learn how to use their hands or whatever, and that's a source of income right there. You done school, you go do your trade or you go do after school program like sports and stuff like that. What time you really got to go look for some extra stuff exactly. in the street? You feel me? And now you got a livelihood. Like you learn you in school, and then you also learn employment or you learn electricity. You got something. You got way to make money now. And the city won't really got there. Our school systems is not the best in the city. No. You know, and even if it was decent, after school, what are they going to do? A lot of these kids don't got nothing to, to do. No so, extracurricular. I mean, they're yeah. going to run into the same people that their brothers or their fathers was beefing with. Mm-hmm. And that's going to transition into beef between them as well. Yeah. And it's crazy because the city of Philadelphia has a $4 billion education budget. I didn't know that. $4 billion. Where did it go? I don't know. Now, my thing is, obviously, there's there's a lot of schools in the city of Philadelphia. I'm not going to discredit that. And yeah. The money has to be allocated correctly. There has to be funds that need to be split. I will say that. But what I'm saying here is, just like you said, there's a private school called, I, th- I believe it closed down. It was a Mercy Vocational High Mercy, School. Mercy, yes, yes. Mercy Vocational. Mercy Vocational, it was a very interesting curriculum because... Their, their their goal was to when you graduate you graduate with a high school diploma but you also graduate with some sort of certificate. A certificate. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's how it is here in in, in, in Penwood. If you do the it's, they call it Votech, vocational tech. Mm-hmm. You know, you get your certificate, you get your regular high school diploma, you also got like a plumbing certificate or whatever your trade was. You get a certificate for that. Now, in our grandparents generation, so before like maybe like the fi- like early on early on right 
a lot of African Americans were tradesmen. Right. A lot of them were yeah. tradesmen. Oh, we lost that. But the reason why, right now, like now, just take into account how this goes, <laughs> and it's it's almost sad to say, because it's a catch twenty two. It's almost sad to say because we lost that because the requirements that were bestowed upon us is get what we've never gotten. And what was what we've never gotten? A college degree. Yeah. So that's why there are millions, there's hundreds of thousands of um, of majors. Mm-hmm. And 70% of them don't make you no money. Hmm. 70% of them don't make you sub $35,000. So most of them. Granted, okay. But we were told to go to college because that was what was right to do to be on par with counterparts in our country yeah provide better opportunities for yourself but when you tell somebody to do something and you give them no direction on how to do it how do you know they're going to pick the right thing yeah that's why everybody <laughs> in this country has some form of debt absolutely debt is the one thing that is a constant in our country but why some of us are born with it. <laughs> yeah. Some of us inherit debt. You don't inherit forty acres. You don't inherit houses. You inherit debt. Yeah. You born in the negative. Yeah. Yeah. You born in the red. You inherit. You inherited your grandmother's debt that she never paid off from whatever she had. Your mom put name, cut credit cards in your name that she never paid off. Cable bills that she never paid off. Now you have ten thousand dollars in debt and you can't even write your own name. Yeah. But because we strayed away from the tradesmen, not saying that education is wrong. I love education, but education itself is threefold because you don't need a piece of paper to say you're qualified to do something. That's why a lot of people, even in government, only have a bachelor's degree. But we go back and get our master's, our PhD, our juris doctorate, and half the time we are enamored in $200,000 in debt, making not even half of that. Absolutely. That's already pretext. So when we think about it, right, what we need to bring back is trades. What we need to do in the educational system is bring back trade programs. Yeah. Because it automatically, people who do HVAC, right, people who do HVAC, $35 an hour is a $70,000 a year salary. Mm-hmm. Okay. You get a degree in sociology, you're not making $40,000. No. You get a degree in dance, whatever. You get what I'm saying? But my thing is, you be an electrician. There is electricity throughout this whole country. There will always be a need. When me and when me and Doug started a business during the pandemic, because I didn't think I was going to get a job, and even though I, I was blessed to have one, we, me and him had a great conversation. I said on the podcast all the time, I say, hey, what's something that everybody needs done? And we chose cleaning. Everybody needs something clean, regardless of to what capacity. Yeah, I say this all the time. You know, there will always be a need for electricians. There will always be a need for mechanics. There will always be a need for cleaning and all the type of things to any capacity, whether you work for somebody or have your own business. But we are so far away from that because our mindset is to go to college and let somebody else. You pay and get debt to work for someone else. Yeah. I believe it starts with uh, our education system, early education. Right. That's how I feel. Because it's like, they don't teach you about being a tradesman, how much money you could potentially make. 
when you're young, they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Most kids say, what, doctors? Lawyer. I want to be an astronaut. Athlete. Yeah, that, that quickly goes away when you hit, like, eighth grade. <laughs> quickly. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, that's not obtainable. So then you go to high school. and high school, from freshman year, they only push one thing, college. That's why I'm graduating. So they don't really teach for you to make yourself sustainable or a sustainable citizen. They teach you for college, which they should. And they should direct you, and they should have different type of classes that's actually useful to you. You know what I mean? Just like you said, it took away trades programs. Philadelphia, we don't really have, like, trades programs. I went, to, I went to three different high schools. One was an excellent high school, but the other two were very terrible. And the two that was terrible were public, but they didn't have any after-school extracurriculum activities that we can do. So guess what? You get kicked out. All right, go ahead. That's a let out. Now they're about to fight. Why? Because we don't have anything else, else to do. There's literally nothing Seriously. else to do. That's all. That's literally all it is. So I feel like high school should like press issues, like generally care about what they do at what kids do after school, or at least tell them like, yo, we need to figure out what you want to do after. High school, but you have to understand this key here, and this is something I want. Like you know, I'm pretty sure you understand as well. So we have these teachers, right? These yeah. teachers, they get in order to become a teacher. Most of the time, he needs some sort of master's degree, half the time, right. right? But most of those teachers aren't capable of understanding our kids' situations. Our kids, yeah, exactly. Our kids. Well, that's because some of them ain't never really lived the experience. You know, like for me personally. I had I didn't have my first black teacher until I was in a uh, junior in college, I believe. Mm. I, all my life, I was educated by white people. Yeah, you know, and there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, they a lot of them not understand. going. They're not going. Yeah. yeah, they can't relate to my experiences. Representation is important. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you know, and, and unfortunately, that's the case in, in the Philadelphia uh, school system yes. as well. You know, we we have people that. Uh, are supposed to educate our kids that can't relate to our kids or you know uh know the kind of trauma that they're dealing with and you know how to adapt to 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 to, to, to that environment mm-hmm. you know and so i mean it's a wake-up call for our community honestly we some of us need to be able to step up and become these teachers now let me tell you I, something right i, <laughs> I want to tell you something talk to in me. my high school right i got a lot of people who know me personally know that i was indefinitely suspended from high school right from being quote-unquote a behavior issue all of my professors were the majority I excuse me not professors all of my teachers were the majority they didn't understand that I was coping with the greatest loss of my life I lost my grandmother my sophomore year of high school no one understood that now being 14 years old losing the person that practically raised you right yeah You've seen them your whole life. Now, granted, I've had medical issues in my life, and she was the one that took care of me. Gone. Out of anywhere. But these individuals that come into school, they see you as the person who doesn't want to do something. Mind you, my grades were impeccable. I had great grades. But when you talked to me, there was a disconnect. Mm -hmm. Because mentally, I was disconnected. You're dealing with trauma. But. They don't understand that. They don't understand trauma. The majority doesn't understand trauma. Most of them. Most of them, yeah. Most of them. And the reason why I say that is because you get labeled as a problem. You get labeled as someone who 
doesn't want to work. Sometimes you get labeled as stupid. But they don't ask you why. They never <laughs> ask the question. Yeah, yeah. Why? And this right. goes back to what we just recently talked about. They just put a Band-Aid over instead of fixing the issue. Oh, he's bad. Kick him out. Yeah. I got indefinitely suspended my last two years of high school. Wow. Yep. Didn't get to walk at graduation. Didn't get to go to prom. Simply because I, at 17, from 14 to 17, I didn't know how to communicate what was wrong. Right. And as an educator who had mastered, my prof- my teachers graduated summa cum laude from Princeton, Notre Dame, all these crazy schools. You got the degrees. Yeah. But you couldn't communicate to a 17-year-old inner city child that he had something wrong with him. Couldn't do it. And they put these teachers that had lived perfect lives. Mom, father, white picket fence. Yeah. Perfect lives. Yeah. Into the worst schools in the city of Philadelphia and expect them to make something of something. Expect them to understand. You can't. So, and that's that's another point. That's you why they only it. care about numbers instead of the students. They just want to pass, 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 yeah, pass, pass, pass. But my thing is, when you deal with that kid who's getting raped at home, who doesn't have food, who doesn't have shelter, who has to, who is 13 years old taking care of two younger siblings, how do you, Mr. Privilege, Ms. Privilege, teach that kid who has his head down, has her head down, who doesn't want to read, who can't read, who can't read? Some people graduate high school with a fifth grade education. Absolutely. Who can't read? You can't read. And the reason why you can't read is because no one took the time to explain what your problem was. And my thing here is that we talk about this and we sit there and you put a band-aid over a problem. And then what happens? That kid falls to the streets. That kid falls to drugs. And that kid falls to violence, jail, or death. Every single time. You can go get a PhD. You mean to tell me you have a PhD and you can't see what's happening? You can't understand this cycle? Because you've never lived it. You've never seen it. None. And when I sit in front of these educators, these, these majority individuals who have millions of dollars, who ask me, Rashawn, what is wrong? Why, why aren't I disconnecting? If you've never seen it, and you never opened up your eyes, you never left the cave. Remember Plato's allegory of the cave? If you've yeah. never left the cave, if you've never been, when I talked to you earlier, empathetic, if you've never shown empathy, for people who have never had what you have, how can you fix the problem? Yeah. There's no reason to tell you the problem if you're not going to understand it. Because how can you change the problem that you have no experience you, you with? You've never been through it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. This is our educational system. Our educational system is two words, band-aid and pass. Band-aid and pass. You fail, you don't make it. I haven't had a black teacher since my eighth grade year of school. I never had a black professor in college, and I never had a black teacher in high school. But I went to a great high school and a great college. But representation was non-existent. And I co-signed that. <laughs> and I co-signed that. I went to school in the city, you know, elementary, high school, and I, all elementary and high school, never had a black, a black teacher. It had to be my junior year of college before I finally got a black man. To this day, obviously, I still keep in touch with him, and he's one of my personal advisors. Why? Because once I saw that black man, we was able to relate. We was able to con- connect. That's, and that's all that's you need. So we, yeah, we, you <laughs> we was locked in. We was locked in since then. You know, like that's, I graduated, and we still keep in touch. That's to this literally day. all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. We come from homes without, like, fathers. We come from no guidance. 
So if you see a black man in a high position of power, you're going to be like, oh, I can actually do that. I can be him. Yeah, that's that's literally all it is. So representation in the school district is extremely important. Getting back to our point earlier when you said that things have never been done so you don't think it's possible. Yeah. If you've never seen a black man in power, how, how do you can, think how, it's possible? Absolutely. Ooh, absolutely. How do you think it's possible? Absolutely. And I'm telling you this because as you sit here and I sit here, two black men that are in politics and we are saying that it can be done. Absolutely. Well... Even when I went to Bloomsburg, you know, like um, I was the first student of color to become president of the student government and mm. stuff, right? Uh, Bloomsburg is ninety something percent. Uh, uh, it's a yes, it is. That's why I didn't go. You know, um, when I f- formally make it known that I was trying to make this move to run for for for, for student government president, granted, I ended up surpassing that and going to the state level and everything. But initially, it was student of it was black students that were telling me, "How you gonna do this? You wasting your time. You can't do this." Mm. They've never had a black student. Black, like we, we like ten percent of the campus. How you gonna do that? You can't do that. So because it's never been done, or because they don't see that, they we just automatically assume like, no, nah, don't do it. And so now that I did it, the the year after me, it was a student of color that was the president. And now they have another young black man that's the president. He's from uh, Coastville. Mm. You feel me? So the thing is, once you see one of your people do it, you automatically like. Doors is do open that. up. Yeah, you gonna I be like, oh yeah, if he do it, I could like literally when I did it, students was like, whoa. And then after I did it, more black students joined our student center. Like that picture right there, that's my first uh my first board. As you can see, there was only two black students on it. Yeah. Me and my personal assistant, a young black lady from um uh, the uptown section of Philadelphia. My second term, there was more black students on there. There was uh I believe more than half the board was 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 black. Mm. And then the term after me. Black, more black students now after i've left more black students yeah. but that's because it took one person it took me to have courage and faith in myself to say oh no it ain't never been done i'm gonna do it and then my own counterparts my own you mean own black brothers were telling me no i'm wasting time you feel me so I, that's that's just to add on to your point that no if, if if nobody did it don't think you can't do it and it hurts my heart you know being from someone who had the opportunity I've had the opportunity. I've been blessed to have the privilege to go to private school, right? And I went to a private college, you know, got a full ride, you know. It hurts my heart to see people that have the ability to be so great. Yeah. But they don't know it. They don't know it, you know. So when I say these things to people, it's because I tweeted something months ago. I said, a black man's passion is always misunderstood a black man's passion is always misunderstood and the reason why is because it can be shown in anger it can be shown in sadness aggression but all the time that black man don't know that's just passion yeah that's all it is it's just passion he don't know what he passionate about but when i see that black man that was angry when i see that black man that wants to do something i just see passion but my thing is What's an artist if you don't got no canvas? Thanks. What's a painter if you don't got no brush? You nothing. Because you don't know that that's your future. Hey, gentlemen, this is the podcast. Episode whatever. I'm your host, Vanessa Belli. I've had a great time here with my guests. Uh, you know, go ahead, you guys. You can uh, introduce yourself. Uh, exit yourself. Go ahead, guys. Duff no bear, you know. We here. Jawar Don, first time on the show, definitely not the last. Can we get a clap up? We'll clap it up. Clap it up, 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 clap it up.
Ladies and gentlemen, subscribe to the Patreon. Like, share, subscribe, share slanders if you want. I'm out. Peace.